Live from Gross Point, Michigan, it's time for the number one radio show in the private service industry, where private service professionals can discuss topics that pertain to their industry. And now, here is your host, Dima National President, Matthew Hack. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another edition of Dima Live. Dima Live is a podcast radio show for the private service industry intended to bring private service professionals, suppliers, principals, and recruitment agencies together to discuss topics of interest to the high net worth service industry. Dima Live is produced by the Domestic Estate Management and Association, a professional trade association intended to serve those who serve others. Our website is www.domesticmanagers.com. Our show is broadcast live on blogtalkradio.com Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time. If you're listening to the show live, you can log into the Blog Talk Radio website to submit questions online. During the show, you can also text questions to 313-404-3998. Once again, that texting number is 313-404-3998. My name is Matthew Hack, and I'm the president of the Domestic Estate Management Association, and I'll be your host today. I'll be joined by my special co-host, DJ Haverkamp, a private service professional who's based out of the New York area. On today's show, DJ and I will be joined by Graham Leffert. Graham is one of the first members of DEMA and is currently a member of the Detroit, Michigan chapter. Graham is also and has also worked in the private service industry for more than 25 years as a part of PSP Corner series, we'll be discussing the pros and cons of the live-in versus live-out employment arrangements in the private service sector. DJ, before we get started with the show, let me welcome you, as I always do, and uh, give us an update. What's new with you? Hi, Matt. Great to be back again this week. I wanted to um, just take a minute. I I had a fun thing happen this week. I was at a a community uh, books sale that was happening at our local library. And I stumbled upon upon a book by Joffrey Beard called The Complete Gentleman, uh, Five Centuries of Aristocratic Life. It was published in 1993. But in the the introduction to this book, I thought there was just this really wonderful little quote. And if if I could indulge you to let me share this before we get started. It says, the role of the gentleman in English life and letters are where relevant, uh, let's see, uh, of such life in America needs at least 10 sections. So what he's saying is that a, a person, uh, a gentleman's life comes in 10 sections, and those are birth and early life, schooling, university, something called the grand tour, marriage, the building of a suitable house, seeking a profession, pursuits in the town and country, activities within the home, a glance at life in the present century, and finally, as it does comes to everyone, the sad panoply of death. And I just thought that that was such an interesting uh, way that he put that as far as like how a person who is a gentleman, and we work for gentlemen, uh, have these stages in their life. And how as we work in private service, we watch our principals kind of go through these stages and we help them as we go through those stages, as they go through those stages in life. And I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing to be thinking about. And in light of our topic with live in and live out today, I thought it might be an interesting way to get us started. So, well, I think you know what I think that's a, an interesting um, uh, introduction, and you know we'll get Graham here uh, introduced. I, I just had a phone call with a uh, nanny 
And I think that, that that discussion that I had with the nanny was, how do I transition from becoming the nanny uh, as, the, as the child gets older? You know, the, the, the nanny's role changes in the home, and it actually can transition into a house manager position. So um, right. just, as, just as those perfect gentlemen that you're talking about have their transitional period, so do also uh, private service individuals. So with that being yep. said, I know someone who does know all about transitioning with families and, 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 and his roles with those families. Um, Graham, how are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, uh, hello, Matt. Hello, DJ. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me on the show with you. Well, we're uh, we're excited to have you on the show. Uh, having a, an English gentleman such as yourself on the show is always <laughs> a pleasure. Um, so, Graham, before we um, you know before we get started, I think um, uh, I wanted to expand on the scope of Dima Live. DJ and I have been working uh, to incorporate some topics of interest. Uh, that pertain directly to our private service audience and um, that that might not otherwise get discussed in this industry. Now, I know today's topic is of relevance, and I know that it is discussed a lot, but um, Graham, you'll be our third uh, private service professional here on the PSP Corner. And so today, one of the aspects uh, that we're going to talk about of the career of a private service professional is, uh, is that of choosing between live-in and live-out. Um, and I think it's something that needs to be discussed because I think that there's a bunch of, uh, uh, of different situations that arise that, that develop and need to be discussed before um, that decision is made on whether or not it's you know good or bad. I think it depends on the individual. But before we jump into that topic, um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what your career has been like in the private service industry? Uh, I'd be very happy to, Matt. Uh, I actually uh, originally worked in restaurants and hotels and sort of with that food and beverage background was approached back in 1989 about being a butler for a uh, family in um, Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. I actually thought it was quite comical when they when I was first approached about it. So I didn't know butlers still existed. Uh, 27 years later, uh, I'm still in the um, private industry. I have worked for a number of families. I've been quite fortunate to work around the country, uh, many different cities and locations. Um, during the course of that 27 years, I have, in fact, lived in. I have lived out. I've lived in where, uh, sort of in a townhouse where I've lived in in a basement room, and I've lived in where I've been on a separate uh, residence on property and also lived off property as a live-in employee. So I've sort of gone through the whole gambit um, uh, over the course of that time. It's been a very interesting road, especially considering my my original uh, response to a butler job, which was to laugh. So uh, in the end, the 27 plus years uh, wasn't a laughing matter. It's been a a, uh, great career for me. Okay. Well, I think obviously, Graham. I, I know I know you. I think a lot of our membership knows you from uh, uh, attending convention, um, and you have a very uh, dynamic personality. So um, I think a lot of people know about you, who you are, and, and kind of what you stand for. Um, you know, one of the things that you didn't mention when you were talking about your description is the fact that you had a very the last position that you had uh, was a very interesting one in which you actually traveled to uh, you flew out of state to spend time with your family, right, here, here in Michigan. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then you would travel um, during the week to go to the principal's home, which was in New York, which I think that that's something that needs to be uh, mentioned as well, correct? 
yes, I uh, commuted on a weekly basis for four years, uh, living in uh, Detro- Detroit area in Michigan, uh, where I want to live. I found a family in New York who needed my expertise and services, but didn't necessarily need me on site every day of the week. So we made an arrangement whereby I traveled to New York for three or four days every week and then worked from home the rest of the time. It was a very unique uh, position, and I worked for that family in the end for a little over four years. Right, and that and that's and that's all about you know that's all about give and take, right? I mean, it was a little bit of give on your part to be able to make that commute, uh, but at the same time, you didn't have to relocate the family and 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 disrupt the the overall uh, chemistry with your family. So it's a little bit of give and take and going where you had to go in order to to stay in the industry. So um, I think that 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 bodes to be mentioned. So. With that being said, obviously you just talked about some of the reasons that a principal would want to have uh, a live-in uh, employee um, or, or live out. What are some of the reasons that, that you have seen in the past of, of a principal wanting to have a live-in employee? Um, well, there, um, there are a number of reasons why people want it in this last position. It was simpler for and cheaper for the employer to put me up in their house as it was as opposed to putting me in a hotel. Um, it could be and living positions typically are either sort of a house manager, estate manager, uh, nanny, chef, housekeeper positions. Um, sometimes they like just having somebody on call uh, to be there when needed. Uh, I worked one position where the lady of the house would fly back home at 3 o'clock in the morning and she liked everybody on staff to to be there to greet her when she got to the house. It, clearly easier for everybody to live in as opposed to uh, driving into work for 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, oftentimes people want somebody living in, so when they're traveling or away, there is somebody in their residence uh, for security reasons. Uh, sometimes it's for health issues, so somebody is present uh, around the clock in case there is a health issue with somebody who might be sickly in the home. Uh, I've also seen people want live-in so that there's somebody to take care of their pets, whether it be dogs, cats, sometimes livestock. Uh, they just want somebody around all the time. Security is always a big issue, and there are many families that want people living in simply so that there is a 24-hour presence uh, on property. And oftentimes those families have uh, a number of people who live in as opposed to just one person. Uh, sometimes it's economics. Uh, lots of uh, live-in positions are couples. And it's uh, very simple and very easy for the family to hire a couple. And it's cheaper to have them live in than to pay, as it were, two separate salaries. Um, and the other is just um, lifestyle. Uh, they just like having the staff around and, and want to know, no matter what the time, day or night, there is somebody there that they can call on and count on. Graham, one of the things that I'm very interested in is the history of private service and how the whole private service industry has evolved over the years. And as I look back, a lot of folks know that I'm a big fan of Downton Abbey, but just as I look back to the way private service existed at, like, say, the turn of this century, around the 1900s, private service was really about making the house function because you really needed to have people living in the house 
just to make it work as far as like keeping the fireplaces lit and the boiler running and emptying the chamber pots and just the food issues. And so I'm just wondering if, from your perspective, how you've seen the live-in versus live-out experience change over the years. Well, DJ, you, 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 you picked one of my favorite subjects, and that is uh, post-Edwardian in England. I made the joke before uh, to others that uh, I haven't watched Downton Abbey, but having lived during that time period, I can speak wisely on it, um, <laughs> though I'm not really that old. Um, you know, the, the history of, of staff and live-in staff really started in the Middle Ages. You had the Lord of the Manor and the townspeople around. It was actually an honor for somebody in the town to work in the castle or in the manor. And if you were sort of a lady, lady in waiting and you would travel around the country with, with the uh, mistress of the house, and, and it, it was a very um, well thought of and well respected position. By the time you get to sort of Downton Abbey, there was this notion of being in service. And, but when you worked for a family like that, the, your options perhaps for work were pretty limited. So a big draw to those jobs was you would live in. And if you look at these old manor houses, if you go back to an old manor house in England, you'll find whole floors of these giant buildings that were uh, set up solely for staff. And staff might have mm-hmm. a room a bit of the size of a shoebox. They weren't paying these people very much, but these people got room and board. Maybe they got an evening off a week or something like this, and they had very specific jobs. You might be a a lady's maid. You might be a a scullery maid. You might be a cook. You might be, as you pointed out, uh, the guy to keep the fireplaces going or the the shoe shiner or whatever it is. You keep the dogs for the the hunts and those Mm -hmm. sorts of things. Um, but they weren't paid much, so it was it was just a matter of providing them with space, and they became, you know, all these employees. And often there were dozens and dozens of employees on, in in a house. But as time has gone by, as you know, DJ, uh, we like to get paid. We, we want more <laughs> than just a room. We want more than just a room and just a meal. And right. as labor laws have changed, so has the industry changed. And yeah. uh, the, the offset is. We get paid now, and some of us get paid quite handsomely if we bring enough experience and knowledge to our jobs. But, but in turn, these households are no longer hiring 20 or 30 staff to work. They're right. hiring four or five or six. So everybody that works in the house has to have many more jobs. There isn't just a lady's maid anymore. You're the housekeeper, and you're the lady's maid and the laundress and the cleaner and maybe a part-time cook, and maybe a part-time nanny. Um, There there are many things. And when you live in, that selection of roles actually grows as opposed to decreasing. Uh, I'm not saying that that it's purely a negative thing. In many respects, it's a positive thing. But I think that's the biggest change, is it's salary-based now as opposed to I'm happy to have a roof over my head. Yeah, exactly. Matt, Matt, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners just uh, from the association's perspective the numbers about how many positions are in the United States as far as live-in compared to live-out. Does the association have any numbers that you could share with us? So this is one of the great benefits of having having you on the show with, with, with me, DJ, is, you know, you're able to have me reach out and do some research. And so, 
in uh, in doing so. Obviously, we have a demographics um, survey that we do with all of our members as they join, uh, which gives us some very live actual numbers from our membership. So with that being said, though, um, you know, we, we you and I did some research. And we reached out to some of the agencies, and I know that you had called a couple. Um, and the numbers that you had gotten from the agencies that are out there uh, were 65% of the positions are live-in, or, or sorry, I'm sorry, 65% are live out versus 35% which are live in. Now, what was interesting on our on our end is that we have a membership that shows 71% are live out, 16% are live in, and 13% are a combination of both. So that would be very similar to let's say a gram, right? Graham, when you were when you were uh, making that transition, right? You were here in Michigan on the weekends, and you lived in um, your position when you were there in New York, correct? Correct. Yes. So that would be so, the, the live in, live out that you're mentioning. You got it. Right. So that so those you know that's I found that really interesting because I don't think we got any um, in any you know, any recognition from the agencies about that. So I thought that that was pretty interesting. And, you know, as far as the, 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 the overall positions and how that's impacted, that really varies based upon, um, you know, the, the, the positions It varies based upon countries. Um, you know, approximately we're, we're shooting numbers anywhere from 100,000 to 300,000 uh, positions that are out there uh, for private service. The problem is I don't think there'll ever be a defined answer as far as how many private service professional positions are out there uh, because what we see is that a lot of principals are putting their, um, instead of doing like a um, uh, SIC codes where you can go in and you can find people based upon tax uh, codes, um, they're not always signified under personal staff, right? Um, you know, right. they're, they're enrolling them and putting them underneath their own individual companies, which if that happens, then that completely screws up all the numbers. So, um, so that, those are the numbers that, that we like to run off of is, you know, um, is the true database numbers where we know exactly how people are responding. And, and, and that's the numbers that we have on, uh, on file. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. That's really good stuff. Graham, I wanted to ask you, I, I worked uh, for many years at a live-in position, and I'm sure that uh, many of our listeners may have done live-in positions during the course of their career. Uh, what would you say are some of the, the pros from your perspective of, of having a live-in position, a positive? Well, for, well some, some positives, especially for people who commute in, in New York and uh, L.A., uh, <clears throat> but just about anywhere, uh, those cities are particularly bad, but living in, uh, I could, you know, you can get up in, if your shift starts at seven in the morning, you can get up at 6.30 and, and make it to the start of your shift. Uh, so no commute is huge. And it, it's not just about time. You think about having to, needing a vehicle, the cost of the transportation, taking trains. So no commute is, is huge. Uh, obviously, it's a greatly reduced cost to live. Um, <clears throat> There is no, if you're living in full time, especially, you have no rent, you have no utilities, uh, insurances uh, that you might have to have. You don't need to have renter's insurance, things like that. Um, Another advantage is that, generally speaking, you're living on a property 
or in a prophecy that, that you could only dream about ever owning, right? Uh, you know, multi-million right. dollars. Some of my live-in positions have been on, on some of the most amazing estates in the country. And, and I'm right there. I get up in the morning and I go sit on my porch, have a cup of coffee on my day off, and I'm looking at the uh, intercoastal in Palm Beach, let's say, or <laughs> overlooking uh, Georgica Pond in the Hamptons. I mean, some of these, uh, some of the places where you, you, you're actually living are stunning. And even if I was live out, I couldn't afford to live in the cheapest housing in the area, let alone uh, living in these beautiful homes and on these gorgeous properties. So Graham, you know, you kind of liken that to, to working on a yacht, right? Um, very, very similar to that where you get the, a, a good tour scenic view of, of, of the world, right? Uh, yes, you do get to definitely a scenic tour of the world. Now, I'm, I always like to say there, there are boat people and there are not boat people. And I have done work on a yacht, and I, I'll proudly say I, I'm not a boat person. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, I, there's, there's a unique. There's a unique. That's a very unique uh, job working on yachts. And I, I hats off to those that can do it. I, I can tell you. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a special uh, feature. But those people are ones that are transitioning into probably living. You know, they could probably transition to that living position quite quite easily. But, you know, look, I don't want to be a negative person here, uh, but DJ has me set up to, to be the negative one here. So we gotta we have we, we, we have to attack the cons of what are some of the cons of being uh, of working in a living position. Well, so that, that's a nice transition from the yachts, uh, Matt, because uh, probably some of the what I would see as a con, uh, the the yacht people might not uh, think so so uh, terrible. Um, you know, a lot of the time when you live in uh, the room or the accommodation that you're in is small, um, which uh, can be off-putting. But again, like a yacht person might think the accommodation is grand compared to what they're used to. Uh, probably the biggest problem that I've had when living in is is um, the privacy, uh, being a house manager or a state manager. If I'm on property, uh, you know, if I'm if it's my day off and I'm trying to sit outside and have a cup of coffee in the morning, anybody and everybody that walks by has got some question for me. I'm not being left alone. Um, <clears throat> the the fact that you've got people or staff around that works wonderfully for our employers um, doesn't work so well for for me uh, there's sort of a sense that you're always on call and oftentimes you are some some employers are really uh, excellent in fact most employers I would say are really good about uh, um, giving you your, your free time and respecting your free time uh, but but when the chips are down, if you're on property, you're going to get called. Um, and then there's the notion of sort of never going home from work, which can be a bit mentally challenging. Um, you know, you're going from working in the house to sleeping in the house or working on the property to sleeping on the property. You're never really off mentally. And I think that can be um, a real um, downside to it unless you've got a plan. Hey, hey, DJ, I just want to jump in here. I know you've got the, the next question, but yes, sir. Um, I, I think it's important, though, that I, I want to notate something with, with what you just said. And I think it's something, Graham, that is lost on a lot of our members and, and even 
probably more so on some of our newer members that are, are looking to maybe come in and get their first position. Aren't we always pretty much on 24-7, though, whether you work in or work out? Um, yes, we are. But, you know, when you're if you're a 45-minute drive away, the boss isn't going to wake you up and tell you they, they need a cup of coffee. But when you're 30 steps away, they might. So you're always on call, but it is it is a little different. But as I said uh, previously, I, I would say that 99% of employee uh, of the employers are respectful of their live-in staff and the fact that they need privacy. Um, and I, I would have a hard time coming up with a story where that wasn't the case. But yes, we are. If you take your work seriously in this industry and you're a leader, you're a house manager, butler, nanny, uh, personal assistant, you are on 24-7. Yeah, Graham, I, I think that your your comments about just the whole mental aspect of this uh, and our our mental health component of, of living in is, is a very important thing to think about because one of the things I've found over the years is that because these positions and these jobs have such an intimate nature about them with our principals, you know, we know some of the most intimate details of their lives, how their marriages are going, the issues with their kids, if there's any, you know, issues with their businesses or, or problems with drugs. Any, I mean, there's just so many things that you know about the intimate details of your principal's life. And those can kind of become ingrained. You can kind of carry those as well, I found. So, I was just wondering if, if you have any insights with regard to that whole aspect of the intimate nature of these positions and, and if that makes the jobs more challenging or, or some of your thoughts on that aspect of these live-in positions. Uh, it's a really good point, uh, DJ, and without a doubt, uh, it, is, uh, it can be an overwhelming issue. Uh, I like to tell people it, it's like uh, it's, it's a, you're in a personal relationship. It's an, it's an odd situation because you're – you're working with a family. You have to be professional. It's a professional working relationship, but it is also a personal relationship. And in many respects, it's almost like dating somebody that you don't want to date. Uh, because <laughs> right? you, I know. You, you're involved with them, but you don't really want to be involved with them. But I think what happens is people look to the employer to be the solution to the things that they might come across on this regard, and really the onus is on the employee. You have to take responsibility for yourself. Um, right. You, you have to know, you, you, you know your employer's weaknesses, you see them, but you have to understand what yours are, and you have to be proactive about making sure that, that you're doing the right thing, that you're not crossing the line, that you're keeping the relationships per, uh, professional, and not letting the personal aspects override your professionalism. Uh, you have to make sure that you don't get too comfortable with your employer. Um, I've, uh, I could tell story after story after story, employers who ask me to call them by their first name, and I say, yes, Mrs. So-and-so. Um, and after a year, they're like, you're not going to call me by my first name, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not, because I'm your house manager. I'm your butler. I'm not your friend. Um, you know, and this is by doing this, if I draw the lines, if I keep everything professional, what it does is it helps um, to keep things on an even keel 
and it helps to stop, well, A, the employer is less likely to take advantage of you. Um, B, it's just better for your state of mind. Um, you know, you want to make sure that the relationship is clean and tidy um, so that you can just do your work and keep your personal life and their personal lives separate. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's an important piece when we're talking about boundaries. I think that that's why we've made such a huge issue of that. Um, you know, over the years that we've had convention, you know, obviously with our with our fifth convention coming up, boundaries has been brought up, I think, probably all four conventions, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, boundaries is a huge piece, and you know, boundaries are, are boundaries is a very important subject. So, you know, in, in, on the flip side of that, I think one of the biggest things is the safety and security side and aspect. Um, you know, from a placement perspective, um, you know, we've we've talked with several different uh, principals that, um, you know, they, they come to DEMA to get some answers on how to better uh, establish those boundaries and, and how to make sure that, you know, the you know, from a placement standpoint, we've had principals that have gone through employees left and right, and I'm sure you guys both have heard those stories, right? Um, of the of the job that is not placeable, right? There, there's nobody on the on the face of the earth that can that can go in and, and do this particular position. Um, but my my thought is, there's a position for everyone out there, and I think it comes down to the ability of what you're saying, Graham, to be able to work with that principal on a professional level and help them establish those boundaries and guidelines. If you're not getting that, you have to really work hard to kind of almost like coach and counsel the principal. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that you're right. More and more, uh, this is becoming the case. Uh, So I've been I've been in this field now 27 years. It was a lot different 27 years ago. Uh, There's this notion in families that, oh, you know, we're going to be friendly to the staff. We're not going to treat them like servants. And but there's there's nothing wrong with with having a servant or or a house household staff. Um, You don't have to be mean to them. You can be polite to them, but it's not being a friend. And I think, unfortunately, the onus is more and more on the employee because the employers don't understand uh, the proper protocols. And it is a very difficult thing. How do you teach your employer who's supposed to be the one who, you know, it's like telling your boss they don't know what they're doing. It's not going to go over well. Uh, So it's a very difficult situation. And you just have to do the, you just have to do the right thing. I mean, I have, a couple of really great blatant uh, examples. I knew one butler um, who decided that he was going to take his boss's Ferrari out for a spin, um, not to the garage for maintenance, not not anything like that, just thought that he was going to go joyriding and, of course, got in an accident with the Ferrari. Uh, don't need to tell you what happened to that guy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the... Um, Another gentleman I knew worked for the family for 15 years as their traveling butler. And one day at their boss's home in Florida, boss was not around, he decided to have a bunch of friends over and have a party on the the dock out on the intercoastal. And uh, a neighbor saw them all out there partying on the dock and knew it wasn't the owner of the house. 
So they called the police. He'd worked for the family 15 years and simply forgot, I guess, that at the end of the day, he's the employee. He doesn't own the house. He's not a member of the family. You're an employee, and you have to do the right thing. You have to be professional, and you've got to follow through with that professionalism all the way through with your behavior every day, with or without your boss around. Well, and I think that that's one of, that's one of the huge points, right, that, that, that Dima has really worked o- over the past years is to, to bring more professionalism uh, to, this, to this industry. Um, you know, take away necessarily, you know, we don't have to necessarily call everyone servants, um, but uh, it's definitely, there's definitely an employee-employer relationship there. Uh, it's not like you want to go to the office uh, with, with, with your boss, right? And, and all of a sudden the boss is like, hey, let me take you out for a few drinks. Uh, most people um, would, would hopefully take the professional route and say, you know what, I've got something going on. I, I, let's get a rain check. We'll do that at another point in time. Um, you know, some would definitely probably cross those boundaries. And it's difficult, right, to come back once you cross those boundaries, um, to, to come back to that professional side. So what are your thoughts? Uh, Graham, on maintaining a professional approach uh, to the position? Well, uh, first I'd like to speak to uh, what you just mentioned about DEMA. I I think it's DEMA has a great uh, format for anybody in that if you're newer in the industry and you have questions, you go to a DEMA meeting and there are people around with years of experience who can help guide you and talk to you about some of the pitfalls of of working in the industry or doing the wrong thing. But ultimately, you know, there are just rules for being a, um, being a professional and having professional ethics in the, in the workplace. Um, always strive for excellence. Um, you know, just always do absolutely the best that you can. We all make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. But as long as you're doing the best that you can, nobody's ever going to complain. Be trustworthy. Just because your employer has a lot of money doesn't mean that you're entitled to their stuff. Be trustworthy. Um, Be courteous and respectful of your employers, of your fellow employees, of all of the people that you're dealing with on a daily basis that do business with the home that you're um, working in. Uh, Be honest. be competent and improve continually. Uh, 27 years, I learn something new every day. Um, sometimes I learn it from vendors. Sometimes I learn it from other employees. Sometimes I learn it from a shopkeeper. Uh, every day, you can learn something new. Um, always be ethical um, in what you do. Hold yourself to the highest standards. Be able to look yourself in the mirror every evening and know that you've done the right thing. Uh, in line with that, always be honorable and act with integrity. Be respectful of confidentiality, um, and that has to do with fellow employees as well as your employer. And always set a good example. Um, and this is something I have a 13-year-old son. Those are the rules I'm always going over with him. Um, set a good example. Be courteous. Be honest. Uh, you've got to come up with that of your own and then everything will fall in place around you. Graham, Graham, let me interject. I, I just think that one of the things that I think about is, like back in the days of Downton Abbey, even 
that those skills of butlering and managing a household were trained into the understaff and that people learned those skills of professionalism and the way a house should run from those who were their seniors. But there's been such a transition away from that, and I think that's one of the big things that the association is really working to try to provide that sort of training and those skill-building aspects of the components of working in private service. And I just wanted to, you know, tell Matt that I think that's a fantastic component of what DEMA is about. And, and it really is about the management. You know, when you look at the name DEMA, it's domestic estate management, and we're learning to be good managers. And that's, that's just, I think, Graham, you're right on the mark when it's about learning and developing your skills every day. So kudos to you on that. Thank you, DJ. Well, on that note, gentlemen, I, I wanted to quickly, we are we are under uh, nine minutes. I, I don't know where the time goes with these shows, um, but I do want to uh, quickly mention that we do have um, some uh, chapter meetings going on uh, this week. Chicago, the Hamptons, Naples, and San Diego all have meetings uh, this week, um, and uh, if you'd like to see exactly when those schedules are uh, are, when those meetings are scheduled, you can visit the DEMA website at www.domesticmanagers.com and uh, find out when those meetings are this week. I'd also like to remind everyone that the National DEMA Convention is uh, coming up uh, right around the corner here, August 26th through the 28th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, we are extremely, extremely excited about this year. It's our fifth, uh, fifth anniversary for uh, having conventions. And um, no one else in the industry has uh, had that many in a row, so we're uh, definitely excited about that. Um, if you would like to participate in this year's um, convention, you can do so by registering at demaconvention.com, uh, which is the DEMA convention website. Once again, that website is www.demaconvention.com. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to a great turnout uh, as usual. Um, if you have any questions for Graham or for DJ uh, regarding uh, or just any comments and you'd like to call those in or text them, you can do so by texting 313-404-3998. Uh, once again, that text number is 313-404-3998. Um, obviously, Graham, you've given some great advice for anyone who's considering a live-in position. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, a, a little bit more about what, what what's your recommendation uh, for someone who is looking to move into that live-in position? Uh, yes, actually, there's there's a few things. The first thing to keep in mind is that uh, live-in can be a seven-day or a five-day position. Clearly, if you're only living in five days a week, you need somebody else, somewhere else to live. So take that into consideration. Um, also, whether you're living in the main residence with the family, an outbuilding or off property can, can all uh, have an influence on the, the job and the type of uh, interruptions that you might get. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about uh, the cons of living in, but, but I got to say, like, I lived in Palm Beach, Florida, six months a year for a few years. I lived in East Hampton, Long Island, six months a year for a number of years. Uh, in those towns, in peak season, when I was off, I got to tell you, I had the time of my life. Um, great, great job. Uh, great experiences. I've met incredible people over the years. 
and gotten to see and do things that I could only have dreamt of when I was growing up. But when you're living in, there are a few things that you need to do. Do your diligence about finding a position that's going to work well for you. And as I like to say, always have an escape plan. Say to yourself, I can do this job for a year or two years. And then at that time, reevaluate. And you can renegotiate possibly with your employer if it's not going the way that you want. But if you just go in like, oh, I'm going to live this forever, and in six months it's going south, it's difficult to deal with. Um, use your agency wisely. Ask your agency the tough questions and make them do the legwork for you. Um, <clears throat> realize uh, it may be work or it may not work out, um, and that's why you sort of have to have a game plan. Always have enough money that you can afford to move out. That way you're, you're not stuck in a position. Um, goes back to another thing being professional, always be professional, always try, try to be honing your skills and learning more. Uh, if you're waiting for somebody to teach you, you're not going to learn. Uh, you've got to take the, the uh, impetus on yourself and do it. Um, and think ahead, plan ahead. Uh, don't spend all your money if you're living in and you don't have bills. Don't spend all your money. Save your money. Make sure that you can always afford to move out always afford to buy your own car or whatever it is that you need. Um, that would be my advice. It's a great, uh, it's a great career, a very rewarding career. So um, it's like anything else. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. So you don't want to live like the principal. I'm sorry, DJ. Uh, so no, you don't want to live ahead. like the principal. Sorry, Matt? So you don't want to live like the principal is what you're saying. Don't live like the principal. Do not live like the principal. <laughs> Do not. I've, I've seen many go down that path. It does not end well. That's right, Graham, for sure. So I was just curious, Graham, if you have any thoughts on how we can kind of help to maintain our mental health. I know these jobs can be kind of stressful. So, um, Yes, the first thing is get out of the house, get off the property. If when you're off, you're sitting in your room watching television and you can hear whatever else going on outside or if you're always surrounded by staff, it's, it's not going to be good for you. Um, take advantage of the fact that you're living in Manhattan or you're living in Palm Beach or you're wherever it is that you're living, probably in one of the nicest neighborhoods in the world. Take advantage of it. Don't live your life like your principal, but enjoy what's around you. Get out. Enjoy the parks. Enjoy the theater. Enjoy whatever it is that you can um, that gets you out of the house and gets you away. If you stay where you work and you are surrounded by it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you will go mad. And we found that by just getting out every night, if you get done your work at 5 o'clock, let's say, take an hour, go to a park, get off the property. It's the best advice I can give. Well, Graham, look, we really appreciate having you on the show. Obviously, your experiences um, are, are, are well um, are, are well to do as far as educating all of our membership that's out there. I'm sure people have had different experiences than you, but we appreciate you taking the time to come on the show uh, to be able to share those, infer, those pieces with us. So let me just say thanks for that real quick. Um, and, uh, and can you give your contact information if people want to reach directly out to you to talk with you? Yes, Matt. And, uh, I appreciate you inviting me to be on the show today. And I, I do appreciate all the support Dima has shown me. 
over the four or five years that I've been a member. Uh, my contact information is graham.lefford, that's graham, G-R-A-H-A-M, dot lefford, L-E-F-F-O-R-D, at outlook.com. Uh, my cell phone number is 631-875-2214, uh, 631-875-2214. I'd prefer a text before a phone call just so that I can make sure I'm free to talk to you, but I'm happy to answer anybody's questions. Excellent. Well, Graham, thank you again for being on the show. DJ, I'd like to thank you for joining me as always today. If you have any questions regarding how you can become more involved in your local chapter at BMO, or if you have questions about the private service industry, please feel free to contact us at info at domesticmanagers.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have a suggestion for a potential topic, or if you'd have a guest that you'd like us to interview, please contact us at that same email address. Um, if you can't touch... Um, we will be uh, we'll be back next week on Wednesday, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Once again, I've been your host Matthew Hack, and we look forward to continuing to do Dima Live every Wednesday.